Amen. Isaiah 58 verse 1 says this. It says, shout, a full-throated shout. Hold nothing back, a trumpet blast shout. Tell my people what's wrong with their lives. Face my family, Jacob, with their sins. They're busy, busy, busy at worship and love studying all about me. To all appearances, they're a nation of right-living people, law-abiding, God-honoring. They ask me what's the right thing to do and love having me on their side. But they also complain. Why do we fast and you don't look our way? Why do we humble ourselves and you don't even notice? Well, here's why. The bottom line on your fast days is profit. You drive your employees much too hard. You, you fast, but at the same time you bicker and fight. You fast, but you swing a mean fist. The kind of fasting you do won't get your prayers off the ground. Do you think this is the kind of fast day I'm after, a day to show off humility? To put on a pious long face and parade around solemnly in black? Do you call that fasting a fast day that I, God, would like? This is the kind of fast day I'm after. To break the chains of injustice. Get rid of exploitation in the workplace. Free the oppressed. Cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry. Inviting the homeless poor into your homes. Putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad. Being available to your own families. Do this and the lights will turn on and your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The God of glory will secure your passage. And then when, you're, when you pray, God will answer. You'll call out for help and I'll say, here I am. If you get rid of unfair practices, quit blaming victims, quit gossiping about other people's sins. If you are generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves to the down and out, your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. I will always show you to, where to go. I will give you a full life in the emptiest of places. Firm muscles, strong bones. You'll be like the, a well-watered garden, a gurgling spring that never runs dry. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew. Rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything, restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate, make the community livable again. If you watch your step on the Sabbath and don't use my holy day for personal advantage, if you treat the Sabbath as a day of joy, God's holy day is a celebration. If you honor it by refusing business as usual, making money, running here and there, then you'll be free to enjoy God. Oh, and I'll make you ride high and soar above it all. I'll make you feast on the inheritance of your ancestor Jacob. Yes, God says so. It's a powerful passage of scripture. As I've read it every week, you know, I see a new little piece of it. But what we've been trying to do over the last few weeks is we've been trying to say that salvation, the gospel, the good news, is so much bigger than just a get out of hell free card. It's so much greater than just about me or what I believe or you and what you believe. It's greater than that. It's bigger than that. The kingdom of God is something that comes, has been coming into the world, is coming into the world, and will continue to come into the world. The kingdom comes through God's people. 
God's kingdom filled with righteousness, love and joy, mercy, peace, healing, forgiveness. It comes into the world through us. It comes into the world to change and challenge everything in our fallen and broken world. And it's for the here and now. It's not in some distant future. When Jesus told his disciples to pray, right? They asked, how do you pray? Tell, show us how to pray. Jesus said, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God coming into the earth, coming to the here and now, changing this world. This is not about leaving the world. We're not just kind of hunkering down until Jesus returns the best we can. No, there's something else going on that God's bringing his kingdom. And when he's, when he's bringing his kingdom into our lives, his plan is to redeem the world, to redeem what was once perfect and now marred and scarred by sin, by brokenness, by tyranny. He's redeeming it. So think about this. Think about this. If the gospel is only about ourselves or about heaven, we don't need a bunch of the scriptures. There's about 2,000 scriptures. You can just cut them out of the Bible. But no, the gospel is about others. It's about what we're doing here on earth. It's about reaching those who are unreachable. It's about helping those who are in need. It's, it's, if we leave those scriptures out, the gospel barely holds together. So a couple of weeks ago, I asked you the question. Are you willing to open your heart to God's will for your life? Are you willing to open your heart to God's will for you? And if you are, then there's a couple of questions that follow. With, if you give an honest, yes, I am, then there's a couple of questions that follow. Here's they are. The first one is, okay, what is God's will? What is God's will for your life? And then, and then when he begins to tell you, you don't say, well, okay, anything except that. <laughs> right? His, okay, I'm open to God's will. Go for it. Give me your will. Anything except Africa, I'm in. No, it's are you open to God's will? And then you have to discover, okay, what God, what is your will for my life? But then there's a second question, and it is a radical question. It is a question where the rubber meets the road, and the question, you can look at it in your message notes. You can write it down with me. It is, what does God expect of me? What does God expect of me? When you think about expectations, the, these expectations that God might have of you and me, it's not as difficult to discern as you might think. Actually, they're etched in the pages of the scripture all through the Bible. They can be summed up in three words, justice, mercy, and humility. Justice, mercy, and humility, look at this verse in Micah 6, 8, it says, he has showed you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love, what does it say? To love mercy, mercy, and to walk humbly 
with your God. See, God's expectations of a center around his zeal for justice, his compassion and his mercy for people, and our humility to walk out this purpose, our humility to walk with him, to allow him to lead us, to say, God, I'm humble enough to let your mercy, compassion, and justice flow through me. Once you know God's expectation for you, then there's, a, there's some questions that follow. But before we get to that, I, I've been talking to different ones of you as we've been going through this series and talking about your experiences. I've heard some stories, and so I want you to hear one of your stories this week from a lady named Teresa Danforth. Teresa, would you come? Teresa and her husband Donald have been in the church for several years, and I just want her to come and share uh, kind of your story about what you've experienced recently in regards to this, these ideas. Everybody welcome, Teresa. Hey, One Chapel. Wow, it's so fun to be up here. I was up here first service, and I was like, it's so great to be speaking to the people that I love the most in this world, and that is you guys. So Ross asked me to share, and I know we've been in this series of just, you know, what are we willing to do and open your eyes. And some of you know, but others of you may not know that what I do for a career is I'm a leader with a major cosmetics company. So my main goal is to help women feel beautiful, teach them how to use makeup and feel beautiful in my space and pamper them. And so part of my job as a, leadership, as a leader is to hold events. And so the Saturday before Ross um, gave the talk that he gave about the encounter that he had here at One Chapel, I had an event at my studio. And this woman showed up by bus to be pampered and to be made, feel, and to, be made to have felt beautiful. And she came in and the event went off fairly well. Um, she was fine and from what I could tell, she was, she was normal, I thought. I could tell that she didn't have a lot, but I, she seemed, you know, okay. And towards the end of the event, she said, oh, by the way, I'm having an art show. I'm having an art show and I'd love for y'all to come. And I was going, well, she made the trouble by bus to get to our event, so, you know, I wanna go. I wanna go to hers. And my new consultant, who was the one who had invited her to our event, said, yeah, I'll go, let's go. Well, you can imagine as you put on an event, there's a lot of things that go on and you're tired, and by the end of the day, I was like, oh man, I really wanna go home. Donald's waiting for me at home, and I'm tired, I wanna kick off these high heels, and, uh, but I told her I would go. And so Krista was like, do we have to go? And I said, you don't have to go because I know you've worked really hard today. I said, but I'm going to go. As your leader, I'm going to go, and I'm going to stand by what I told her I would do. So anyway, here begins the journey, right? So I look at the, the address, and I put it in my GPS, and how many of you have ever just done that and not really knew, know where you were going? Right? Every day. Every day, right? Yeah. You just, okay, you know, like we need a calculator anymore to do two plus two. So anyway, I put it in my GPS and I start this journey thinking that I'm going to an art show. And as I start driving and I start going into this area of town, I'm going, oh, I've been here before. And uh, because I was in real estate and I knew a lot about different parts of Austin and I was like, I, 
I, I'm not so sure. And all of a sudden, the questions and the dots started trying to connect, and they weren't connecting. And so I turned onto this one street, and I pulled into the street, and I pulled onto the, into the cul-de-sac, and I looked, and I looked down at my phone to double check the address, and I went, wow. I was in an impoverished area, and this was nothing but a duplex. And right then, I was like, I could leave, and she would never know. I could go home. What do I do? And so I was led. God was leading me to keep going forward. But I looked around in my car, and I was like, okay, is there anything in here anybody can see that they would want to take? You know, I, was, I wasn't worried about my safety, but I was worried about the things I had. And I just kept walking. And I walked up to the door, and I knocked on the door, and she answered. And she was so excited. And she said, welcome to my art show. And I walked in. And I looked around and realized I was the only one. I was the only one there. And I looked on the walls, and I was looking for art, and I realized that these were just prints, just framed prints that you could get anywhere. It really wasn't art. And so she introduced me to her friend, and she said, we prepared all of this food, you know, all of this food for our show, so please have some. And I was like, OK. And um, I did have a little bit, and she said, my friend is a cordon bleu chef. And I'm starting to kind of realize that something's not adding up here. And I'm really not sure because I could tell, I mean, I could tell that I didn't really think her friend was a cordon bleu chef. <laughs> and so, anyway, <laughs> I, uh, I thought, well, God, what is my intention here? This obviously wasn't the path I thought I was going to take or the place I thought I was going to end up, right? So I thought, I just need to care. I just need to pause. I need to sit down, and I need to care. And so I just started listening to her story. And as it started unveiling, and the things that she would say, some of them made sense, and others didn't make sense. She started talking about famous people that she knew. And, and, I, and I, I was, again, you know, you're, it's like walking in the twilight zone. You're trying to make sense of something that just really doesn't make sense. So I started trying to figure out how I could gracefully exit. And it was hot. There was no air conditioning. And, um, and she had told me that they were going to do a drawing for a Kendra Scott piece of jewelry. But since I was the only one who came, they get, she was going to get me the jewelry. <clears throat> so I got the necklace. I, I graciously accepted, because I would have hurt her feelings had I not. And I started saying my goodbyes. And as I was walking out the door, as I was getting ready to go, going, OK, God, I've, I've done good here. You know, I've done what Ross told us to do. You know, I mean, I was really, uh, I was really, you know, going. I was feeling good about what I had just, that I had served in some way. And she says, oh, by the way, I picked up one of the invitations to your event two weeks from now. And I'm going to come, and I'm going to bring all my friends. And I looked at the friend that was there, and I could tell that, you know, that, that there was something a little off there, too. Um, and right there, I couldn't go any further in my obedience. I looked her in the eyes, and I said, you know, sometimes we have to cancel those events. And I just flat lied. I said, I will call you if we choose to have it. 
And I walked away and I sat in my car and I had a pit in my stomach. And I was like, I don't know what just happened here. And then I started justifying. I started justifying, well, I'm running a business, you know, she can't come into this. The event that I'm having is with a top leader in our company and I'm wanting to make a good impression on her and there are gonna be women there that are there to be pampered and if she walks in with all, you know, who knows what can happen. And I started justifying my lie. So fast forward two weeks, she tried to get in touch with my consultant, but she never got in touch with me. So fast forward two weeks and here's the day of the event. And I, everything is perfect. I mean, I have planned so well for this event. And, oh, and the one thing I left out is she said her friend would come, the Cordon Bleu chef, and bring the food for my event. So I get to the caterer and I show up for my food with everything planned and she goes, well, we don't have your food. And I went, you don't have my food? What do you mean you don't have my food? And she goes, we forgot. We forgot to for your event. And I said, well, what can you put together in the next 30 minutes? She goes, we'll do the best we can. So I'm like, okay, okay, I'm not only gonna be 30 minutes late. So I keep going and I get to my studio with this event all planned out and we have no air conditioning, none. I go to turn the thermostat on and there's no air conditioning. And I'm expecting all these people and a top leader of my company. So I'm going up and down the stairs, sweating. Now, not, my makeup was on, thank goodness, it's good quality. So it was still on somewhat, but I it's great business woman getting that plug right in there. It's good, it's awesome. <laughs> but I definitely was not polished and put together and perfect like I had hoped for this event to run. Now God still blessed me because for the first time ever, everybody that said they were coming showed up and brought a friend. So now I have two times as many people that I thought were gonna be there, so we're scrambling to set up, so he blessed me abundantly. It was hugely successful, despite all the obstacles. So I thought, done it. And I get in the car, plug in my phone, and up pops a message from this woman. She had found me through Facebook Messenger. And she said, you didn't call me, so I didn't come. But what I would like to do is trade some of my art for some of your makeup. But what I really want to do is trade some of my art for a car. And I was just like, oh. God was working on me. He was really working on me through this whole thing. And I didn't realize it until my husband and I were having a conversation last night about this speech, the analogies. And so now I've got to go back and make this right. She has asked to friend me on Facebook, and I was like, oh gosh, what could happen now if I do that? And my first thought was, I can private message her without her friending me, right? <laughs> I mean, I was really still in that. And then after I shared at the earlier service my heart with you guys, I was like, no, I have to friend her. And I have to trust God that he's going to show me how far to go and then he's gonna be there, and then he's gonna provide the resources for this woman, and it may not even be me, but I've gotta go make that situation right. And what I'm just saying, One Chapel, this series, it's tough. It's tough because you know we get to a certain point to open our eyes to people, but then it's risky. 
and how far. And so I need you to walk with me through this. Pray for me that God's going to give me the direction with this woman. And just pray for all of us that we can, can go this route. And I'm grateful to you, Ross, for this sermon, mm -hmm. for this series, because it really has blessed me. So thank well, you. Thank you for sharing. I appreciate that so much. We can give that to I want you to see the picture. You see Teresa, all that well put together businesswoman, and she's eating little raw carrots off of a tray in an unair conditioned little place in the worst part of our city. You never know where God will lead you. But if you'll open your eyes, you will see that he's leading you to help people. What I love about this story is she thought that she was going somewhere for business, right? That, the, the business world is I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. It's, all, it's how it works all the time. You come to my, I'll come to your event. This is, this is how it works. And she, she's coming to the event. She's going to do what she said she'd do. I love all that. But she didn't know what she was signing up for. She thought she was going for a business deal. What happened was God was doing something else. And here's what I think all of us have trouble with is we're, we're like, well, she's not responsible for that lady. You know, we will kind of just rest, rationalize the story. We, we think in our own process, uh, I've, you know, God would never ask me to give up financial benefit for the sake of some person in need, would he? Yeah, the real question is, would you trust him to provide for your needs if you realized that in the process of your work and your schedule and what was, what was going on in your business that you had to pay attention to a person instead of a deal? That's really the question. Because at, what the kingdom of God is made of such things. Well, Pastor Ross, I have to be a good steward of my... Yes, be a good steward of your job, but don't close your eyes to what is all around you and what God may be doing with you. God's expectations for you and me, there tends to be a gap. And I want you to look at your message notes. There's a gap between two things. One is the awareness or knowledge, the awareness of a need in other words, you, 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 there was a moment where she had the awareness. This woman is a woman in need. She has the knowledge. But then there's a gap between the next thing and that next thing is the fulfillment of the need, the meeting of the need. Meeting of the need. And you know what's in that gap? You know what keeps the gap there? You know what keeps the awareness from meeting the fulfillment? Is something called indifference. Indifference, and it is a temptation for every one of us. Indifference for wh what's going on in that person's life. Indifference for what God is doing versus what we have planned. Look at this in 1 John 3, 14. It says, the way we know we've been transformed, transferred from death to life is that we love our brothers and sisters. Anyone who doesn't love is as good as dead. 
Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know very well that eternal life and murderers don't go together. This is how we've come to understand and experience love. Christ sacrificed his life for us. This is why we ought to live sacrificially for our fellow believers and not just be out for ourselves. If you see some brother or sister in need and have the means to do something about it, but turn a cold shoulder and do nothing, what happens to God's love? It disappears, and you made it disappear. My dear children, let's not just talk about love. Let's practice real love. This is the only way we'll know we're living, truly living in God's reality. How many of you know what the greatest commandment in the Bible is, right? If I had to ask, if I asked it of you, you could, you could name it. It's loving God. But it's not just loving God. It's loving God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, or some version of that. It's loving God with everything you have. It's seeing your job as a means to the kingdom love of Christ being demonstrated. It's seeing your family as a way to practice kingdom love. It's it's seeing everything in your life as an expression to God. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's loving God. But then Jesus added this second commandment. He said the second one is just like it. It's love your neighbor as yourself. The second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself or as you would want to be loved. However you, however you would want to be loved, do that for others. These are the number one and number two purposes in your life and my life. There is no greater purpose than this. Now, here's, here's the thing. Let me ask you a question. How are you doing with these two things? How are you doing with these two things? Look at number one, and on your message notes, How are you doing in fulfilling your purpose in loving God? I want you to rate yourself from one to 10. Yeah, just take a moment right there. Just take your pen, rate yourself one to 10. How are you doing? How are you doing in loving God? Circle a number and, you know, some of you are like, "Uh, I didn't know there was a test when I came to church. No, it's not a test. It's just for you. It's just for you to know kind of for you to assess yourself. But then let me ask you another question. How are you doing in fulfilling your purpose in loving your neighbor? Right, same thing. In loving your neighbor, just give yourself a a little grade there. Circle it. Some of you are like, I'm not circling nothing. (laughs) Okay, then think about it in your mind. Give yourself a grade in your mind. How are you doing at loving your neighbor as yourself? Scale of one to 10. You see the two grades? Here's what John is saying. First John, it was scripture we just read. He's saying that loving God is a subjective test. Loving God is a subjective test. Like you can kind of assess yourself, but you can, you know, you're just kind of evaluating uh, something that's sort of between you and God, but loving your neighbor is an objective test. It's an objective test to measure your love for God. (laughs) That's the hard part. So the score that you gave yourself on how well you're loving your neighbor is really the score for how well you're loving God. That's the hard part. That's what John is saying. And I think it's so easy for all of us, me included, to deceive ourselves to walk around in some spiritual box that's detached from living out God's reality in the world. 
I went down this week to a place called Community First Village. Community First Village. Some of you may have heard about it. Alan Graham is the president of it. You may know Alan from uh, Mobile Loaves and Fishes. He's been the, the president of that organization for a long time, feeding the hungry and feeding the homeless. They started this community, this little community of tiny houses, trailers, and little tents, really nice tents with some, you know, like, like there's probably, I don't know how many spaces there are, but it's, it's kind of endless. They're still not, they're about 50% capacity right now, but it's for homeless people. It's for people who are, has, have disabilities, people who are in trouble, people who are in great need to come and find a place where they can correct the trajectory of their lives. It is an amazing place. And Alan was just leading us around and showing us what's happening. And there's no doubt, One Chapel, we're going to get involved in community first in some way as we go through our journey. But here, as I've watched that, I, what Alan was saying to us as we sat and looked at all the, the things going on, there's a, there's a, a garden, uh, they're farming some, some fruits and vegetables and, and trying to teach people how to eat better than, than uh, just fast food all the time. They're learning to eat slow food. They're learning to, kick the, uh, the, to cook. There's like uh, four or five commercial kitchens all spread all around the property and that means they have to cook together sometimes. And there's this community that is drawing together and people are putting their lives back together and it's hard, it's a struggle, it's challenging, but they're there is such love in that place. Alan tells this story about how he's got this beautiful house in Westlake, and he's had it for 30-some years, and he says, when I, go, when, I, when, I, when I sleep there, I get up and go. I, I shower, I, I shave, I, I just go. He says, when I, when I stay here, he's got a little tiny house right there, like four, 400 square feet, just a little tiny house. He says, when I get up in the tiny house, my wife and I, we sit down and we have coffee. I walk around and talk to my neighbors, I, I ch my, my mentality changes because of the people that I'm with. And all he was pointing out is they're creating a culture that is the only way that people who are in trouble can find their way. So many of our neighborhoods are filled with people who are in trouble, but they're trapped behind their little gates or their little fences or their little front doors or their big front doors. There's people just as trapped as the people in Community First Village. It's just that in Community First Village, there's a different culture that's rising. And what I want to challenge you to think about is a culture that you are willing to become part of that's looking for the people in need, that's willing to see them, to spot them, and then to act. Because here's the, here's the problem. Look at 1 John 3, 17 again. He says, if you, if you see some brother or sister in need and have the means to do something about it, but turn a cold shoulder and do nothing, what happens to God's love? I love the Message Bible. That's the translation we're reading from. It says, it disappears, and you made it disappear. 
which means that the opposite must also be true. If we help our brother or sister who is in need, then we make God's love appear. We make God's love known. And I think for many of us, this gap of indifference between the knowledge or awareness of someone's need and the, the fulfilling or meeting of that need, the gap of indifference is fueled by our own self-centeredness, our own selfishness. Dr. Ralph Wilson in his books, The Jesus Walk, he said, said it this way. He says, love, sympathy, and mercy are motivated by the need of another, while withholding mercy is essentially an act of selfishness or self-protection. I think most of us are relatively unwilling to admit how selfish we are. But I tell you, it's in the midst of relationships that we begin to discover how selfish we can be. I tell this to young couples who are in premarital counseling and I, I try to encourage them that God's desire for you is in, in this marriage is not just to make you happy, although we hope that you'll be happy. But that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to make you holy. Guess what, single people, you don't have to wait to get married to get holy. <laughs> invite some, instead of watching Netflix by yourself, invite somebody who's lonely over Right, like there's this, this mindset that we've got to adopt to understand that, that there's a, a selfishness, an impatience, an, a, a demand within ourselves, in the culture we live in. We have to break out of it. Look how Jesus described this in Luke 10. This is the famous story of the Good Samaritan. I'm just gonna read it to you. Verse 29 says, the man who was talking to Jesus wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. You know why they did this? They didn't want to be polluted, poisoned. It was a whole... Uh, religious thing about getting tainted and being holy before the Lord. They had the wrong idea of what it meant to be holy. Verse 33, then a despised Samaritan came along and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged him. And then he put the man on his own donkey and took, care, took him to an inn where he took care of him. And the next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Say it out loud, mercy. Write it in the little line that you've got next on your message notes is the original Greek language, it's elios. It means the emotion roused by contact with an affliction which comes undeservedly on someone else. Think about this, it's only when we intentionally put ourselves around people who are in trouble, who are in need, who are poor, who are down and out, who are forgotten, who are marginalized, who are the afflicted. It's only when we get around the hurting that we rouse this emotion of mercy. 
It starts coming out of us. Look at what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. He says, test yourselves to make sure you're solid in the faith. Don't drift along take, t- taking everything for granted. Give yourself regular checkups. You need firsthand evidence, not mere hearsay, that Jesus Christ is in you. Test it out. See, if we're to test ourselves, see if the reality of Jesus is actually in us, and this test can only be conducted in the interaction of relationships. How else can you tell if you can be patient if you're not in a relationship? How else can you tell if you're going to be good and kind unless you're dealing with a difficult person? No hitting the person beside you. It's God awakening this in your life Do you think being kind to your plant or your dog is what God has in mind? I mean, you should be kind to your animals and you should speak nicely to your plants. (laughs) But listen, being kind and showing mercy to your next door neighbor or to the sales clerk at your favorite clothing store, that, that's a different thing. Or landing in a place you never thought you'd be and having the realization that God is doing something with me and I have to show mercy. We understand that from the gospel that we gain righteousness only through Jesus Christ, okay? Don't misunderstand me. I am not saying that any kind of righteousness comes because we do something nice for someone else. That is a works-based idea. But even though our righteousness, in fact, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast, okay? That has to be settled. Our right standing with God only comes through Jesus. But even though our righteousness only comes through a relationship with Christ, that righteousness is unproven. It is not demonstrated. It is refined and demonstrated in the midst of other relationships, which means there's no way to verify the work of God's grace in us if we're independent of others. There's no way to demonstrate goodness, the fruit of the Spirit that God wants to flow through us with anybody other than God if we're not in interaction with others. And this interaction with the down and out, with the poor, with those in need, with the least of these, that's where we find the reality or the lack thereof of our love for God. Look at the definition of mercy one more time. It is the emotion roused by contact with an affliction which comes undeservedly on someone else. You might be thinking if you're a real justice person, well, what about people who, they deserve what they got? Guess what? You are the kind of person who doesn't get what you deserve. That's God's mercy in your life. And we have to be the kind of people that will let that flow out of us when we're in contact with someone else, which means you and I have to intentionally put ourselves in situations where we're in contact with people who have needs. Otherwise, indifference just takes over. The gap just stays there. The selfishness begins to take over. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians 5.25, he says, since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implications in every detail of our lives. See, the time for playing church is over. If that's what this is, the time for just making the gospel about me, about how I feel about everything. 
The time for indifference is over. The time for selfishness is over. Micah 6, 8 says, he's shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. God's expectations of us are about his compassion and his mercy for people. I want you to look at this in your notes before I give you the final three things. There's these numbers there. And you can see it, it's 300 million Americans. That's about what is in American right now. And then there's another number, and it is under this idea of food insecure. Food insecure simply means people who aren't sure where their next meal's going to come from. And, and people disagree about this number. You know, there's people everywhere who have arguments about this, and it's very politicized and all that. But, but lots of people agree it's about, there's about 30 million so there's 300 million people in America and 30 million food insecure people. Look at what happens if you start with your pen over on the right side and you just start getting rid of the zeros. And you start getting rid of the zeros and you kind of, you know, just mark them down kind of like he's doing here. He's getting rid of each one all the way down to 30 and three. You circle 30 and three. See. This is where we have to get to. There's 30 people who are sitting at a banquet table and about three people that don't know where their next, next meal is coming from. See, when you boil it down to something really personal, relational, biblical, it doesn't seem that hard. It's three people. For every 30 of you, there's three people you could invite to your table. And you just invite them to the table and they're not food insecure anymore. Well, it's more complicated than that, Pastor Ross. You know, it's like, uh, I got to teach them to fish. You can't just give them a fish. Yes. But you got to come in contact with them to teach them how to fish. You know what teaching them how to fish is? It's becoming their friend. Because you don't learn how to fish from somebody one time. It's a challenging prospect that we're looking at here. People who have enough, if they would simply invite three people who don't to their own banquet table, hunger in America is solved. Now, the next question pro probably in your mind may come to this. Well, okay, what's the church going to do? What's the organization of the church? No, that's displacement. You are the church. We, me, and you all have to wrestle with this. None of us get to get out of this. Now, is the church, the church, the organization, are we going to do something together? Sure. We're already praying about it. We're thinking about it. Next week, I'm going to talk to you about something really cool that's coming down the pike. But listen, it's not really about that. It's not about even given the money, it's, it's, it's about being willing to be open. It's about willing to open your eyes. It's about w being willing to let God lead you where you never thought you could go. And so I want to encourage you to do three things as you leave this room today. Number one, I want you to find ways to connect with people who have needs. <laughs> what? Pastor Ross, I have needs. <laughs> Why do I want to get involved with other people who have needs? That's really hard. <laughs> I, I want to get in people with people. I want to get involved with people who can meet my needs. Yeah, that's kind of the problem. 
God's people are called to be the ones who will look and watch and be aware and be attentive like the good Samaritan. Here's a guy in the ditch. Oh, I ought to get him up out of the ditch. I'm going to pay for him to stay and I'll, I'll help him along the way. Number two, walk slowly through the crowd. Every one of you have crowds that you walk through and you're just... Bum, bzz, bzz, bzz. This is the worst temptation of every pastor right before church, and I apologize if I've ever walked by you and not said hello. I gotta, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I, there's things that have to be done, but the things are never in, as important as people, so walk slow. Walk slow. Number three, look for ways. Look for ways to help people. This is my prayer for you while you're going through your week. <laughs> Some of you are like, no, Pastor Ross, don't pray that for me. I don't. <laughs> Listen, this, I told you we're on a journey together. This is a journey. I don't really understand what the destination is, but we, can't, we have to believe the whole gospel. We have to believe salvation is bigger than us. And I want you to take this journey with me. And I want God to break our hearts. And I want us to lead wherever he says we should go. I want us to follow wherever he leads. So close your eyes and bow your head. 